Well, good morning. I'm wanting this morning to use some different lenses to look at something. And I'm going to start out by a wide-angle lens. So with a wide-angle lens, I'm getting like that, that viewpoint, a really wide view. And then later on, I'm going to change lenses because these aren't like um, your iPhones. I have to go old school, mechanical, and change a lens to get a zoom. Because I want to focus, first of all, and, and to have a wide angle to give us a big picture. I'm going to paint the big picture of God and his kingdom this morning. And then I want us to zoom in on something. I'm not going to tell you what that something is yet. Because I like surprises in sermons. And we're going to zoom in on something which helps us remember that big picture that God has established and given to us. So the old saying is, begin at the beginning. And that is God as creator. Right at the beginning of the Bible, he says, God creates. Those first words. There's no kind of who God is or why it's happening. It's just God said. And there was. And that creation story unfolds. And in that creation story, God is bringing order out of chaos. He's setting things up. He's putting things in place. He's ordering things out of a time where there's utter chaos. And in that creation story, we get to the place where humankind is formed and we are, we are seen as the pinnacle of God's creative work. We're the pinnacle of his work. We've been created in God's image. And we're put into this garden, the Garden of Eden, that is a wonderful place. It's a place of bounty. It's a place of security. There's everything there for us. It's a wonderful place. And we're told there to reign and to rule, to work and to take care. They were God's instructions to us. And what do we do? We think we knew better. We thought in our Adam and Eve in history, we thought we knew better and we would do the one thing that God told us not to do. And we ate of that apple. We went our own way, which the Bible is calls sin. And that harmony, that peace, which in the, the Hebrew word of shalom, that existed between Adam and Eve and God in that garden is suddenly shattered because we thought we had a great idea. We thought we knew better. We were tempted and we gave in to that. But God still loved us. I mean, God could have just ripped the whole thing up there and then. Bad idea. But he still loved. And through the Old Testament, we have this journey that his people go on where he is trying 
time and a time again to help them, to speak to them, to make them better than they are. And so often they fail. But we also hear whispers of a rescue plan. Whispers of a way to bring back that harmonious relationship that humankind enjoyed with God. That relationship that we had in the, in the garden, but has now been broken. And that rescue plan, as we've just almost enacted this morning, that rescue plan was Jesus. God sent his best. God sent his very own son to come to earth, to become human, to live amongst us. He knew what it was like to be human while still remaining fully God. And that led to him going to the cross and dying in our place, taking on the sin and shame that we deserved and dying in our place. There was an exchange that took place, our sin for his righteousness. He had righteousness because he'd led a perfect life. We could now have peace through the cross. And to prove, to prove that victory, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. And that resurrection, which we'll be celebrating in a few weeks' time at Easter, that resurrection is proof of that overcoming of the victory that, that has been broken in. Victory has come. And Jesus returns to his Father, and they then send the Holy Spirit to be amongst us, to be God with us all the time, to comfort us, to encourage us, to empower us for all that God has in store for us. Jesus ushered in a new era, a new age called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God where we can find peace. We can take hold of the victory that he has done and find peace with God and, go and enjoy that relationship with him that we once had in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus is the first fruit of that. He's the proof of that happening. And that he is about restoring the whole of creation, this new kingdom, restoring to that place where it, how it first began, that harmony and peace with God. But the kingdom has come in Jesus. It's going to fully come at the end of the age. And we live in this in-between time where we pray, um, where we pray your kingdom come. We're asking for this future reality to come into our present. And praise God, we do see that. Just an example, when we see someone healed in Jesus' name, we see the, the, the outbreaking of this future kingdom into our present reality. It's now and it is not yet. It's here, but it's still yet to come. And we can push in and want to see that kingdom revealed to us. When Jesus speaks about this kingdom coming, numerous times while he was on earth speaking to his disciples, he uses the analogy of a feast. In Luke 22... Um, the disciples are having a row. They're bickering between each other. Who's the greatest? 
Who's the best? Who's going to be at the right hand of Jesus? And he says this, Luke 22. I confer on you a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who has prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And in that particular reference, that's the story, that's the parable, where the king had made this banquet and he invited all the people that he expected to come and they all said, can't come, can't do it. The people God expected to be at that wedding feast did not come. So he had to send out messengers and others came and others enjoyed that feast that the king had prepared for them. And then Jesus, at the Last Supper, he anticipated this future feast that we are going to enjoy with him. Where He says this in Matthew 26. I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. There's a future participation for us. There's a future expectation of a feast in this future kingdom of God. But we are able to participate in that. As the bridegroom, as Jesus has come to us, he, he's pointing towards this future feast. We are awaiting him to return, to take us into and to celebrate his victory in this feast, this wedding feast of the Lamb. And we can anticipate that now. When we have this meal here, it's like having crumbs from the table. We're anticipating, we have a foretaste of what is yet to come. And we do this in remembrance of him. We declare his death until he comes. Because in this new age, in this future age that we long for, Revelation 21 says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We are anticipating the what we live with now, the pain, crying, tears, to pass away when we meet Jesus in glory. And we're also praying for that reality to come into our present day as well, to bring comfort, to bring love, to bring acceptance, to bring security. That's what we're, that's what we're doing as we're praying for God's kingdom to come. That's the big picture. I want to change lenses now. I want to change to a zoom lens. We've had the big picture, we've had the wide angle. Now, with a zoom lens... Christine, I can see you. 
That's about all I can see there. So we've gone wide angle, big picture, and now we're zooming down into a particular thing that helps us understand the big picture. And the thing I want us to zoom in is bread and wine. I want to zoom in on bread and wine. Why did, she, did Jesus choose bread and wine to give to us as the meal to remember him by? Was it just the, what was at the Last Supper? Was it the stuff that was closest to him? And he thought, ah, oh, I'll just grab those things. They're the symbols I want you to remember me by. Or do you think it might have been a bit more thought through? Hidden depths that we can engage with. Greener grass that we can enjoy eating as we follow him, our great shepherd. He could have used milk and honey. I think they'd have been a great choice. Milk and honey, those symbols of coming into the promised land, they'd have been a good choice, I think, to remember Jesus. Or at that mealtime, he would have had roasted lamb in front of him and bitter herbs. It was a Passover meal. They had those things. They would have been right in front of him. He doesn't choose those things. He chooses bread and wine. And through the centuries, very sadly, theologians, church people have wrestled over what actually happens to the bread and wine. The focus for nearly 2,000 years of research is what actually happens to the bread and the wine. And we seem to have missed the simple, but why bread and why wine? Bread is not a natural product. You cannot go into the fields and pick up a loaf of bread. You cannot go into the fields and find some wine. You can do that with honey. You can do that with milk. You can do it with lamb. You can do it with bitter herbs. But not with bread and wine. Bread and wine requires human ingenuity and skill to grow the wheat and then to bake it. It speaks of humankind's reign and rule over creation. We have a part to play to transform, to influence, to change, to bring order out of chaos, the very things that God himself does because we're made in his image. And we are able to use our skill, use our ingenuity to make bread and wine. And Jesus then uses those elements to say, use these things in remembrance of me. The grain has to be farmed. The seed has to be planted. The fields then weeded. They may need watering. They may need birds being scared off. They then need to be harvested. Needs to be winnowed. The grain then needs to be ground down into flour. The flour then mixed with water. Yeast, 
sought, mixed up, allowed to raise, and then baked in an oven to form bread. There is a huge amount of technology behind just the bread. And that is our human, God-given, God has given to us ingenuity and skill to do that. And we can bless him with that. We also have to defer our pleasure. You could just eat, rather than put it into the ground, you could eat that grain. But you have to say, no, I'm going to set myself up in an area. I'm going to put these seeds, this seed into the ground. And I'm going to wait some months. And I'm hoping for a bigger harvest. But during that time, I have to stay here. I can't go off and fight battles. I, I hope there's peace in the land so that marauders won't come and take away this grain. And that, is, that means there's societies being set up, order is happening in society to ena- enable people to become farmers, to settle and develop what God has given to them. Now, sadly, we are so detached from that now in our modern day. Where do we get our bread from? We just pop down the shops. Or sometimes it magically appears as the um, internet delivery arrives, doesn't it? Oh, this is good. Don't do anything. And it appears, the bread appears for us. But bread is, is almost an exemplar. It represents all of what humans are given to do, to reign and to rule, and to then bring that to God in thanksgiving to him. So you've, you've equipped us in this way, and we now give you thanks for that. We've enriched it as we work on it. And Jesus then takes that and uses it to represent himself to God. Wine has a very similar technical story behind it. Growing a vine needs a lot of work. Tending the, the vine, keeping the birds off, pruning it, looking after it. Then you have to pick the grapes at the right time. You then have to crush them, allow them to ferment to the right amount of time, then filter them, and then store them, age them. And hopefully at the end, you get wine rather than vinegar. But again, it's, the, it's man, humankind, doing what God has said to reign and to rule, to influence, to change, to transform. The very things the kingdom of God is meant to do, to transform the world, to change it from chaos into order. But wine also has a strong prophetic word behind it. As as you look through, particularly the Old Testament, you see that wine is used to represent many wonderful things. And as I was handing people this, this morning... The, the wine, I was saying some of these things over you as you came up for the wine. It's wine of abundance, of peace, of hope. It embodies blessing, happiness, love, bounty, and victory. As you look through prophetically, wine is used of those things wonderfully and Jesus chooses wine in his last supper 
for us to remember his sacrifice. He's bringing all those things together. There's a depth to this meal that we can explore to enjoy and see God's hand in. And back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, where there's loads of rules, there was one rule there where wine drinking was strictly forbidden. Let me read this to you. You and your sons, this is going to the priests, Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. Wow. So that's a pretty clear thing. The priests, when they were serving at the tent of the meeting, were forbidden to drink wine. Why is that? How about this for an idea? Wine is often a drink of relaxation, of job done, of completion. Some might even say it's a Sabbath drink where you can remember that rest that God has given us. It's a, it's a, it's a, a symbol of job complete. The Old Testament priests, Hebrews 10, day after day had to bring an offering of sacrifice to God for the sins of Israel. Day after day, they had to bring a sacrifice so that God could look on his people. But that peace was happening between the people. Day after day, and they were forbidden to drink wine. They were forbidden to have that rest and relaxation because they had to continue giving that sacrifice. Let's fast forward to the new covenant where once and for all, Jesus sacrificed himself. The Sabbath has now come. There is no more requirements for a continual day after day sacrifice. Christ died once and for all. We can now rest in that. Our great high priest has completed his work. And because he's completed his work, he can now sit down. He can now relax. So now, rather than wine being outlawed in the presence of God, we are encouraged to come and drink wine in the presence of God as we break bread together because it's speaking of that once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. We are now in that place of Sabbath. The victory has come. There's no more work to be done. His sacrifice was sufficient for everyone. Wow. And we can enjoy that whenever we have this meal together. With that in mind, let's reflect on what the first miracle that Jesus did was. John 2. 
John 2, verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Do you remember the story? Jesus turned water into wine. That wine of victory, that wine of peace, that wine of Sabbath, that wine of victory, he turns into that. That was his first proclamation of the kingdom coming, where he takes the mundane into the spectacular. The mundane water into the spectacular wine. I've done the maths on this. I think I'm right. He actually forms 75 cases of wine. 75 cases of wine. That's a small lorry load of wine. This speaks of the abundance, of the joy. The first sign he does is make a shed load of wine to reveal his glory to his disciples. It's a foretaste of what is going to happen. The kingdom of God is coming. The first thing he does is turn water into wine. Old creation water is now being replaced with new creation wine. The kingdom party is starting. Get your clothes on. Get your party clothes on. The kingdom party is starting. And get ready with those new wineskins to take this new wine. The old wineskins will not suffice. They'll split. Get new wineskins for the fresh wine that God has for us. We are made in his image. We are encouraged to mimic his creativity. We take hold of things that's in creation. We're able to use them, break them apart, build them back up to them, back up again, add value to them. Using our God-given gifts and talents. We can produce things like bread and wine, but the bread and wine are representing all of what we can do. Whatever you do during your day, you are bringing order to chaos. You are ordering things in place. The roles you have, whether you're being paid for those things or not being paid, you are bringing God's kingdom in as you bring order from chaos. And it represents the provision and the thanksgiving to God. The giving he gives to us, which is crowned by the giving of Jesus to us. In this meal of remembrance, of communion and hope, the meal contains within it the gospel and also the purpose of man. The purpose of man is that in his, as his image bearers, we are called to reign and to rule, to have dominion, to bring order out of chaos, just as God did. The nature of the kingdom of God is to transform the world, to bring hope and love where there is despair and discomfort, to renew and to redeem it. And what we spend most of our day doing, we have a role to do that. We can have a positive impact on the world as we influence it. 
the meal also speaks of the gospel. God's rescue mission for us of sending Jesus to die in our place, taking on the sins that we deserve, taking that punishment and the shame upon himself so we could be set free from that and have a life, have a purpose in life, have a plan in life, have a destination in life and secure in him. The kingdom of God is now. The victory has been won, but we haven't yet totally seen it all. But we will do. We have that future hope. We still have work to do here on earth. It gives us a purpose. The decisions that we make, the the way we set our course of life, are all influenced to see that God's kingdom come. All our values that we have is influenced by seeing God's kingdom come. And we don't always get that right. Uh, Sally last week when she was preaching used a wonderful picture which I want to remind us about. About her son sitting in a high chair and just covered in mess. Covered in baked bean juice. Whatever. Tomato ketchup in here. And just, sh- just shouting out, Mummy! Mess! And she said, that's what we have to be with God. When we've mucked up, when we've made wrong choices, when we've done something we shouldn't have done, and we know we shouldn't have done that, we can come to God and shout out, Father! Mess! And he is quick to come in response to that prayer. And I want us to have opportunity later on, as I finish, to do that as well. So, this morning I've used a a wide-angle lens to give the big picture. I've then zoomed in onto the elements, the bread and the wine that are used in the meal. But I don't want you to get the impression that it's like God behind this camera. That he is far off and distant. That he is behind a lens and has to zoom in on your life. Because I want to throw this camera away. Because God is right with you. God is alongside you even now. He's not far off needing a camera or a telescope to know your life, to know your detail. He is alongside you now by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present. Emmanuel, the name of this church, means God with us. He is with you now. A camera's not required. A lens isn't required. He loves you and he longs after you. Whether you call yourself a Christian or you don't yet call yourself a Christian, that is the message from God. He loves you with an everlasting love. 
and wants and desires to know you, to understand, and you to come to him and enjoy his presence. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his son, on that rescue mission for you. And no matter what you may have been through, Jesus has already experienced that and is able to understand that situation. And you can come to him and speak to him about that. If it's betrayal, Judas, his, his treasurer, the person he trusted the money with, betrayed him to the authorities. If you feel disowned, Peter, his, his right-hand man, the one he trusted, despite the fact that he warned him, Peter disowned Jesus within a few hours of his arrest. Jesus went through that. Jesus saw that happen. If it's pain, Jesus on the cross went through excruciating pain. And that word excruciating comes from Latin meaning ex out of crux, the cross. We have a name to describe the sort of pain that a crucifixion creates, excruciating pain. Jesus took that on himself. He set his face as flint, determined to do what was required to rescue us. Determined to enable us to come into the presence and have peace with God. And Jesus can relate to us if we have those issues because he went through that himself. He knows. He is alongside you. And he still went through that to death, even death on the cross for his love for us so that he could turn the whole world round and to bring in a new era, this kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I wonder if the band could begin to come up, please. I just want to reference that Alan mentioned earlier that at the beginning of the month I preached on breaking bread. I've touched upon it again slightly this morning. That is available on our podcast, if you want to catch up with that, because there's, as a community, we want to go deeper in God. We want to go into this rich pasture that God has provided for us and to drink from that and to eat from that. Over these last four weeks, we have been exploring and in different ways, using different people. We've had mothers and fathers who have been serving us. We've had students in 20s serving us. We have had elders serving. And we've looked at the issues of remembrance, of communion, and hope. And I want to encourage you to continue to explore. As I said uh, beginning of the month, this is not satisfactory as a meal. But you have opportunity in your small groups, in your MCOMs, as friendship groups together, as families together, You can have this meal yourself and remember and 
rejoice in the victory that Jesus has won for us. We're going to go back into worship now. You got a song lined up? What are you singing? Hmm? Living Hope. Why don't we stand? We're going to focus on Jesus. But in a few moments, I'm wanting to have opportunity for prayer for people who may need it. It might be you realize you've made a mess and you want to come to God and say, Mess, Daddy! And come to Him, receive His forgiveness. Or it might be it's what you do in your day to day, where God has put you to see His kingdom come. It may be you need more hope, more faith for your workplace, for where God has placed you. But above all, I want us to see afresh the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. How great he is, what he has done for us to have a peace with him, to bring in that relationship and peace with God that we lost those years ago.